But how, how do you specific? How do you pronounce your name? I want to start. Obi Wabuzer. Okay, gotcha. I wasn't hundred yeah. percent sure, so yeah. I just want to ask. Most people I just say, say Wabuzer, like, but Obey yeah, or Obi. something like that. Nah, Obi like Obi Trice, Obi Wan Kenobi. Yeah, I get that a lot. <laughs> I am so bad with names. Like my fiance's friend has a dog. His name is Balu, and I was just like Baloo. Baloo? And it's like, nope, that's not the dog's name. So. No, the dog's not responding at all. <laughs> not one bit. <laughs> so, yeah, um, how about this? Just kind of do a quick intro. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so Obi Waboozer, I'm a native of the city of Milwaukee, born and bred here, a product of Milwaukee Public Schools. I did undergrad at UW-Milwaukee, did grad school, grad school excuse me, at Cardinal Street University. I am doing a certificate program with Cornell University, and I am essentially a lot of people refer to me as like a master community connector. Um, I've been able to master that. You know, there's a lot of people who are a jack of all trades, but I do have other trades. But for the most part, I am a master community connector. I've worked in the nonprofit and public sector for some years now. I currently am the director of community impact at the American Heart Association for Wisconsin, and I am also a real emerging real estate developer um, here in the city of Milwaukee. And, and I serve in other various community capacities as well. Community leadership capacities, I should say. Wow. That is a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to condense it. I was trying to condense it. I was trying to condense it. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I was going to take away some of the questions that I asked if you kept going, but no, you're all good. It's <laughs> super interesting. We, we have we have had to cross paths at some point. We Jeez. have. We have. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, you, you went to Nicolay. Yeah, no, and I, I went, didn't. To K- went to Falls. I went to really? the Falls. Yeah, I coached at Nicolay. Okay, okay, got it. We have a got lot it. of mutual friends. We do because yes. I went to King. Yep, and I know so a lot of people. I knew that a lot of uh, people at various schools that were intertwined with King. I yep. like to say, <laughs> of course. And I also went to UWM for my okay, undergrad. Okay, there we go. I think I may have ran into you there. When Probably. were you there? Um, 2010 through 2014. Yep. We overlapped. Yep. (laughs) And then I got my master's degree from stretch as well. Okay. But did you do it online or in person? In person. Okay. See, I did some of it in person, some of it online. When did you do it though? Uh, 14 to 16. Okay. I did it 16 to 17. Okay. So we probably just missed each other. other. (laughs) How was your experience at UWM and stretch? My experience at UWM, it was very commuter school like. Yeah, You know, and but I spent a lot of time at UWM in Marquette. So I felt like I got a, a dual school experience because I'm Greek. So I spent a lot of time at both campuses because my um, Greek undergraduate chapter is citywide. Okay. So we had a few different schools under that umbrella. And yeah, my experience at UW-Milwaukee was pretty cool. I had a lot of people who already knew there. There's definitely a lot of students at UW-Milwaukee. The class sizes are very large at start. Oh, yeah. And then it kind of it dwindles as you get more into your major. But nonetheless, I think I had a great experience for the most part. Um, as a state school, I do think there's some things that private institutions, there's a better offering versus a public school. I do think public schools are cheaper, but I do think then private schools um, tend to offer, I think, smaller classes from jump. There's yeah. so many students at UW Milwaukee, you know, like I can't, I can't even remember the population size, but it's just a lot of students. Yeah. And I think that tends to be the case for all public, uh, public college university institutions. I agree. I, I agree, but kind of disagree. It's, it's super yeah. interesting because like I went to, um, 
Concordia my freshman year mm. of college. And I will agree with you on the point where I super, 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 superly appreciated the smaller class sizes. Yeah. When I got to UWM, I just kind of felt lost. Ooh. Meaning I've been in classes, I think, up to like 200, 250 students, almost yep. 300. I was like, and the classes would just be like, do, 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 over. Exactly. Do, 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 over. And I felt like I never had a connection with my professor. Really didn't know who was in my classes half the time, unless we like tend to sit in the same spot as people like to do group think, right? Mm-hmm. You sit in one seat and you come back there, the same seat, same seat, the same seat. But it just was like, I, yeah, I felt kind of distant, but for the most part, I was able to get through it by like forcing myself to, you know, reach out to my professor and, you know, set time aside to just have one-on-ones. But without, without that, I would have been very much so lost. Yeah, I applaud the the regular students day to day. Like I was a student athlete there. So for me, mm. like if I wasn't a student athlete, I have no clue if I would have like truly like made it out. Yeah, honestly, because a lot of the classes were super large. I had my I got my undergrad in criminal justice. So that's okay. like a pretty, you know, dense field that a lot of people kind of go into. So yeah. right away, the class sizes never really dropped until you got into like your thesis class, which was like the last class that you had to take wow. to graduate. Um, and that was still on the larger, larger end. And yeah, if it wasn't for athletics, it would have been, yeah, I don't even know how I would have made it out <laughs> and then gone wow. to get my master's degree being in a class with 24 people. I felt at home. I'm like, all right, even if the teachers change every semester, yeah, I still can build some sort of connection with that professor as well yeah. as like the the head of the department which was super nice yeah no and that's interesting that you say that because I was uh, initially a kinesiology major Same. before I kind of transitioned to organizational communication and kinesiology kind of became like almost like my emphasis or concentration because I had so many credits in that field mm-hmm. nonetheless because kinesiology is not so a lot of people don't go into kinesiology or even in just the health sciences field. Um, as you can see, just department wise, it did dwindle very quickly as far as the class size, especially with labs. Oh, you yeah. know, with the labs, you couldn't have like over 30 students in a class. You know, it was like 15 because it was a lab, you know. And then, I mean, the lecture halls, then you may have seen saw a big amount of students, but it dwindled very quickly. Whereas that's interesting that you said it really didn't dwindle to the theses. And that's basically the whole program then. Yeah. It's huge. (laughs) Exactly. Because I was a kinesiology student as well. So I'm pretty sure you're talking Mm. about the anatomy and physiology, like one and two, right? Yeah. Like the lecture classes were massive. And then there's like 20 students in the lab. Yeah. And then if you didn't get anything from the lecture, like you're already losing in the lab. So it was just kind of like, yeah, because everything in the lecture corresponded to what was being taught or the continuation was being taught in the lab. Exactly. So, yeah, it was it was it was a struggle. (laughs) It was a struggle. But hey, you aren't alone. We both made it out. We both made it out. That's all that matters. What what kind of made you want to stay in Milwaukee for school? We know a lot of people just love to get out of here whenever yeah. they have the opportunity to. And I think that jump from high school to college is where people take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. So I was working. I worked all the way from high school to grad through grad school. I never stopped working. Okay. Um, and most people do internships, X, Y, and Z. I was always working an actual job. So one of those things was I was like, hey, keep a job in undergrad. I think that's a good thing. And I have a great stable job here, you know, and I'm making decent money as somebody who was what, 18, 19 years old compared to even just a regular person. And then the reality was that I didn't really want to leave Milwaukee because I had started to build. I realized that I could build a tight network here 
And I realized that if I could build a tight network here at home and then further want to have an impact on home, then why not stay the duration? So even it's funny, after undergrad, I was like, hey, you know, maybe I want to do my master's elsewhere. And then I kind of just was like, you know what, I'm just going to stay. You know, I just kept saying, I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay. And I just never got into this mindset of like, I want to leave. And I shouldn't say mindset of want to leave. I've thought about leaving, but I haven't settled in that mindset of like, oh, yeah, I know I'm going to leave. Okay, that's fair. I think. Yeah. I don't know. It's just so interesting, like on both ends, like I'm on the end where it's just like sometimes I can't wait to jump and get out of Milwaukee. Mm. And then on the other end, I felt like I've built so many genuine relationships with people here that it would suck to kind of start over. And that's how I felt after time, because as time goes on, the relationships grow, they grow, they grow. You expound upon your network. And, you know, I know it's cliche that people say your net worth is your network, but it's really true. So like, because I've been in Milwaukee for so long, it's like, I literally was on a call with a guy earlier today, had never met him, got connected with him from somebody at, uh, I want to say BMO Harris Bank. Um, she's a managing director there and he's a founder of a investment firm. And he started naming people like I should connect with. And I was like, oh yeah, I know that person. I know this person, I know this person. He was like, well, you know all the big people in Milwaukee. Like you seem to know everybody. And you know, that goes back to me saying I'm a master community connector. And it's like, dang, I got to start all over. (laughs) (laughs) Like I'm going to have to start from ground zero. Whereas in Milwaukee, it's like I can move very freely in any room and feel rather comfortable at this point. And get, you know, I have at least a decent amount of access to, move things forward to get things done, especially when it comes to knowing the impact I want to make in the city. So it's just one of those things where it's a hard, it's a hard, you know, it's kind of like, sometimes I am like, man, you know, how would it feel to be in a different city? Right. You know, there are different opportunities. There are different corporations in other um, places around the nation. There are larger companies. When you think about the Googles and the Amazons, they're not in Milwaukee, you know? So when you think of possibly getting a job of that magnitude for a company like that, it's like, you have to move. Yeah. So I just know that being in Milwaukee on that side of things, those opportunities may just never be there. It comes with acceptance a little bit, though. You mm-hmm. kind of like you said, you you accept that there aren't going to be there's not going to be that Google. There's not going to be that Facebook. There's not going to be that Amazon that pops up. Right. in Milwaukee. Um, but you've built so much here that it's just like, hey, like. Maybe it may it, it's not here right now, but with my connections, maybe I can potentially build something that is to that scale. And that's kind of the way that I look at it um, from the, from everything that you just said. Yeah. And I'm kind of curious, like what Milwaukee truly means to you. And also like what steps did you take to get to the point where you are right now with being connected with so many different people? Yeah. So what does Milwaukee mean to mean to me? Milwaukee is definitely home. I think that's the obvious part, but then at the same time, Milwaukee is this, city with so much potential when I, and you know, I like to be clear because a lot of people say Milwaukee and then it's the County and then no, like Milwaukee, the city city of Milwaukee is a place with so much potential. It's a, it's a, I think the best way to say it, a lot of other cities that are like Chicago, New York metros are big city, little fish and everybody's a little fish, but Milwaukee's big city, big fish. You know, a lot of people can be big fish very quickly and that's what it really is. Milwaukee allows people to have access to people they wouldn't normally have access to in a bigger city with a lot of little fish. Uh, A lot of the people that are in other bigger cities, or I should say, excuse me, a lot of people in Milwaukee who would be in larger cities, the people in Milwaukee normally probably wouldn't have access to them because Milwaukee is such a, it's a Metro, 
but it's such a small city. Everybody kind of just knows each other. Like when you've been in Milwaukee for so long, we everybody knows each other. And I know it sounds cliche when people in Milwaukee say that, but it really is true. I don't think that people are just saying that to say it. Everybody really does know each other when it gets to a certain point. You exactly. went to Milwaukee public schools, K through eight. If you did undergrad here, if you're then Greek, you know, the layers add on to it. And some way, somehow somebody knows somebody because that's somebody's cousin. That's somebody's old teacher. Oh, your, your wife was my teacher back in, you know, grade school. All those connections kind of come into play. And so Milwaukee allows the access that people normally wouldn't get from a bigger city, another metro. The other thing about Milwaukee, though, is that Milwaukee has so much potential and needs people to stay in the city to help push that potential forward. If everybody just leaves, then all the talent gets drained out of the city. And that's what we are kind of seeing now. There is a lot of talent that has been drained out of Milwaukee because, like you said, some of us stay. And then at that, at that high school point, a lot of people do leave. And then a lot of people from some of the talented, talented schools leave, you know, because people try to look at MPS as like the bottom of the barrel. But we have some great schools within MPS, um, within the spectrum of MPS, I should say, as a system. So when all the talent leaves, then you don't have a, a pool of people to take on these next roles of leadership, whether that's in corporate, whether that's in nonprofit, whether that's in being an elected official, you know, things of that nature, because there needs to be people built in. And then, of course, you do have people who come in who are transplants, but it's always great when it's the people who are homegrown, right? Yeah. Who know the city, who know the community, who can say, I remember Capitol Court. I remember Northridge Mall. That is just so much more impactful yeah. than somebody from a Seattle, a San Diego. And there's nothing wrong with transplants, but it is it it does it does have a different taste and a different feel to it when it's the homegrown people making the direct change because they know the community best. Yeah, I agree. And then your second piece. I'm trying to remember what the second piece was. Um, well, we can get to the second piece after okay, this because awesome. I, I want to say something about that. I agree with you 100%. It's so interesting because the company that I worked for, the the past CEO was a guy that kind of started the company. Mm-hmm. And we are pretty much number two in every single space when it comes. Number one or number, I hate saying number two, number one or number two. We're number, I, I say number two just because we're much smaller than the number one organization. Um, but we do everything so much better than what they do. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's just kind of like he he said, I'm like, hey, why, why Delafield? And he was just like, because we can. Mm. It was like, this company can be anywhere else in the entire world. But being right here is where it needs to be. This is where Mm. it's going to make the most impact. And yeah, that may hold us back a little bit. Because, hey, we don't have access to the top talent. Even if the top talent's in Milwaukee, it's hard to get people from Milwaukee to drive out to Delafield or even Tosa to drive out to Delafield. That's true. But he was like, we're making a mark in history and we're making a mark in the world with the technology that we have. And that's the only thing that matters. Yeah. So I think it's also looking at it from that aspect. So many people get to the point where it's just like, I got to leave because this is where the opportunity is. This is where the opportunity is. Like, no, we can build something great here or the outskirts of here and still have it super interconnected. And that's all that truly matters at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think that's so important. That's so important because of the simple fact that I think there's two, two, two ways to look at it. Right. I think it's so important to get more people to stay, but then I do appreciate the people who leave and come back. Yes. Because those are, they are transplants technically, but they're natives of Milwaukee. So they transplanted for a season 
and then well they left for a season but then transplanted to milwaukee but basically came back home in that transplant transplant situation or uh you know time and the reality is that now they bring another perspective you know when you think of um minneapolis minneapolis is so progressive and they're right next door to us and i always think of like hey you know what, what are different things that we can take from different cities around us, even just in the Midwest? Because yeah. we don't even have to stretch all the way to the East Coast or the West Coast. In the Midwest, there are great cities doing great things that are a lot more progressive than a lot of us have ever seen. And there's great things that we can take from them. But that doesn't always mean that we need to leave. And then for the, those who do leave, okay, now they're adding to the ecosystem for those who decided to stay. And how do we take, once again, like you said, there's opportunity create that opportunity here so that we do attract people to come to our city, but also retain talent. Exactly. Why do you think people truly leave? Like what's the motivation behind it? The city of Milwaukee growing up in the city of Milwaukee is hard. I, 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 it's hard Um, for people who grew up in the city of Milwaukee. It's not it over time. It's, it's become more difficult especially yeah. for people who want to have families who want to be married, have kids. Things look so different than when I was growing up. So we lived on 27th and Capitol, 76th and Appleton and landed on 80th and Carmen. So we've been on the North side, Northwest side for our, our whole lives. And growing up Milwaukee was then was so different than what it is now. And because, and you know, I understand and I always also agree that everywhere has its problems However, Milwaukee is also in a state that is not consistent. One, one year it's red, one year it's blue, one red it's here, one year it's blue. So when you have a city that is marginalized to the magnitude that it is, and the neighborhoods in this city are marginalized to the magnitude that they are, and then you have a state that leans very red or blue, and then you have a city that insta- um, historically, excuse me, historically, was situated to be segregated from, from the building blocks and the foundation of the city that creates a tough lift that creates a tough churning of turning things around. And with so much crime and poverty and incarceration, I think people look at it as how about I just go start fresh elsewhere? How about I just get away from this, you know, and people also have their own personal trauma. Right. So however that looks like on top of already what is their environment that you can't control. I think people's first thought is I want to get away. Yeah. I agree with that, too. One hundred percent. It's so interesting. I grew up on 78th and Fond du Lac, uh, but my mom shipped me out all the way to Menominee Falls to go to high, to go to school just in general. She worked. My mom worked mm. in NPS. Um, and like you said, it's so interesting watching how. Things changed from the point where I, we lived in the same like townhome thing my entire life to the point where I was like, OK, I'm going outside every day, like playing with my friends and then slowly seeing them move because the neighborhood is getting worse and worse mm. and worse. And then I move out because I go to college and then I come back for like my first like, you know summer back home from college. And I'm like, wow, like you like, hey, mom, grandma, you probably should think about like getting getting out of here like it's not like the best neighborhood anymore and like you said I I mean it's so interesting I think we we focus so much on the problem here in Milwaukee that we don't ever focus on what we can do to fix whatever the problem is correct and there's gonna be a problem everywhere and I think that's the part that 
people know, but they don't want to just, they don't want to focus too much on that. They just want to say, this is the problem and I'm going to get away from it. And the reality is the real, real, real aspect of it that I want to hit on is people don't feel like they have a duty to improve where it's not home. So when people leave, it's not the same burden when you're in Milwaukee and you're from Milwaukee. So for those of us who do stay, we carry the burden of fixing Milwaukee on our backs, especially as people of color, because we grew up in the inner city. But if you now go move to California, if Obi goes to California, I probably don't care as much. That's not my community. It's my community because I live there, but I didn't grow up there. So home is always going to be somewhere else. And I always keep that in mind that the reality is when you do go somewhere else, that's home. But if anything happens, you're going to go back to your home home. Yeah. Whereas for the people who decide to stay, this is home. And now you really, if you didn't care, you probably do feel forced to do something about it because if home burns down today, where is home? Exactly. I think that's the way to look at it. Yeah. Like being a transplant to me is a lot easier. And, you know, that's my opinion. I want to make it clear that that's my personal opinion. But being a transplant is a lot easier, not in the sense of integrating yourself. It's going to be, of course, it's hard to integrate yourself. You're a transplant. But as far as having to carry the burdens of that community on your back, it's not the same. No. We had a, a thing uh, for diversity and inclusion at the, at the company that I work for. And um, she, she mentioned one thing of what it's like to be black within like an organization that is predominantly white. And mm. she was saying that that black male or that black female goes into work every single day carrying the weight of every single black person on their back. And that is what like outside of work. Right. In the community, like that's the burden that we're carrying, not being an African-American, but the city of Milwaukee and yep. how I can improve it. How can I help someone improve it? How can I help put someone in the position to move forward? So maybe they can build something that can improve the state of not, I was going to say the state of the country, but <laughs> the state of <laughs> the Milwaukee, state of you know, right. it's crazy. I mean, I love Milwaukee. I love Milwaukee to death. And ever since I started this podcast, I've loved to learn Milwaukee even more just because yeah. I've talked to so many interesting, crazy, not crazy, but like crazy, good, crazy people. in a good way. I get yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> Like crazy good people. It's just like, man, I would have never met anyone if I didn't start this podcast. I would have been like, all right, packing my bags. I'm out. I'll see you guys later. I'm going to start my podcast and, you know, move on somewhere else and just try to get out of Milwaukee. But like ever since starting it, I'm just like, gosh, I got, I want to stay. I want to stay. I want to stay. Yeah. But we'll kind of see, see what happens over time. Yeah. (laughs) I think, I think a lot of us are always trying to figure it out. Like, are we going to really stay, stay? Are we going to leave? And I think those who have been staying tend to just keep staying. I think people don't really start thinking to make a shift for those who have stayed until they're married and they have kids. And then now the layers of what you're looking at for, um, is a, it comes from a different spectrum. Cause it's not just about you now. Yep. It's about you, your husband, your wife, whatever the case may be, your kids. And then what is the best situation holistically? 100%. And that's, and that's why people move to Wauwatosa. Because <laughs> then technically you are still in Milwaukee, right? <laughs> yeah. But it's just the out, it's point. the out it's the suburbs. Yeah, it's the little outskirt. It's the suburbs. It's not too far out, but it's yeah. out enough where you probably feel like it's different. Yeah. And I mean it does feel different. Driving driving past Tosa feels different than yeah. driving past Milwaukee or driving in the city feels different than driving in Tosa. <laughs> oh, most definitely. I want to have a quick conversation about everything that you're doing, like company wise. So yeah. you're 
I would say hardcore entrepreneur. So you you technically have two different companies right now, correct? I do. Okay. I so do. I do. It's a, I wrote things so backwards. My handwriting is like the worst <laughs> in the world. So one of them is Envision Self and the other one is Envision Growth, right? Correct. Cool. Correct. So tell us a little bit more about Envision Growth. Like what, what sparked the idea for, for you to come up with a company like that? Did you hear me? For Vision Growth? Yeah. So, yeah. So, essentially, Envision Growth came out of my visionary and brand work through consulting through Envision Self and really having an understanding of brands and community and bridging that gap. And Envision Growth, adding to that, I wanted to go into real estate, actually, when I finished my master's program. Uh, nope, slightly before I finished it. Cause I did it 2016 and 2017. So I want to say like, literally after I started my program, I was like, I want to go into real estate. And I was initially looking at it from a sales perspective, being a realtor, right. Mm-hmm. Have mentors who are in real estate. And I was like, you know, I want to get into real estate and took the pre real estate 72 hour course, coursework, whatever the case may be. And never sat for the exam. I still could sit for it, but I don't know if I want to <laughs> and never sat for the exam. And then I applied to a program here locally and was like, Hey, let me do it. And I didn't get in because I really didn't have a background in real estate. And they were looking for people who were going to go, who were going to utilize the real estate knowledge right away for the real estate work they were doing, whether it's a company, they're a construction, uh, have a construction company, real estate development firm, whatever the case may be. So I kind of was just like, eh. I kind of let it sit. Yeah. Now we're back in, now we're like two years later, 2019, 2016, 2017 to 2019. And last year I'm like, I started rethinking like, do I want to go be a realtor? And I didn't initially know that there were so many lanes to get into real estate because nobody sits and explains it to you. And I mean, there was just a lot of things we didn't even learn growing up, right? Because schooling is so different now too. (laughs) Even what they offer you, what they tell you, that even looks different in itself. That could be a whole podcast by itself just talking about the schooling system and degrees and bachelors and masters. And what does that look like now? What was offered then? And it's like, I feel like I was cheated, but anywho. (laughs) Join join (laughs) the club. Like, I feel like you guys didn't offer me anything. Like all these, like they have all these, like all type of innovative masters and bachelor programs that did not exist when we went to school. And it makes me think like, well, that was I born in the wrong time. But anywho, (laughs) nonetheless, I, I have always been a visionary. I have, and I've always wanted to improve the community. That's I'm a, somebody who just wants to build healthy communities and build healthy people. That has been like my motto since undergrad, didn't even realize it would be like my life's motto. Just community is, is what I embody And that's what I look to improve and look to have an impact on. And real estate, with being at the Heart Association, a lot of my work focuses on policy systems, environmental change to mitigate barriers um, for our marginalized communities in urban areas specifically um, in that aspect, but of course in rural areas as well. And then that's when real estate started coming back to me as there's a connection between health and real estate. There's a connection between property value and vacant property. There's a connection between property value, neighborhood value, and um, vacant property, you know, and property that's desolate and property that's abandoned. And if we have communities that every time we pass by them, there's like five vacant homes on the block 
that need to be rehabbed. Or every time you drive past, there's like 10 commercial corridors that are that are vacant, desolate, abandoned. That plays into that literally the economic value of that community. It also plays into the mindset of the people in those communities. And I would drive around Milwaukee and I would see property and I'm like, why is this abandoned? Like, why is it just sitting here? Like, I like, and you know, it just started coming to me. It was almost like a divine moment for me where I just was like, something has to be done. Whether it's a vacant parking structure, a vacant lot, a vacant home, uh, you know, just boarded up everything. Why does our community look this way? And why is, why are people okay with it staying that way essentially? And I wasn't okay with it staying that way. So I would talk, I started talking to mentors saying, you know, how can we make sure that, you know, things actually change? Like why, why is everything vacant? especially in the inner city and, you know, downtown looks one way and the suburbs looks one way and we're okay with the city staying this way, especially because a lot of us are from the city. We have to, have to want to change something. So, I mean, talk about staying in Milwaukee. That's one of my like powerful purpose reasons is really rebuilding the infrastructure of the city, um, especially in the inner city. And then I really was like, okay, I'm just going to kick down the door. I started my company. I said, Hey, I'm going to stick with the Envision brand. Kind of like how Oprah sticks with, Oh, everything Oprah, this own this own that Harpo blah, you know, and Amazon kind of sticks with the Amazon books and this and that and that. I'm like, I'm going to just stick with Envision. That's been my brand. Envision self is what people know. And I'm just going to be like, Hey, you know, I was thinking of what was a good brand and I'm like real good at just creating brands and Envision growth came to me, ran it by like two people knew I was going to do it regardless of what they said, but they were like, Oh, that's dope. Like, I can see the growth now. Yeah. <laughs> so started Envision Growth at the end of 2019, really started formulating what would I focus on? And, you know, I was really like, you know, what I'm trying to do is focus on urban regeneration. And urban gen- regeneration really is the transformation of communities and upgrading them, whether that's in housing, um, public and private building services, infrastructure, mobility systems. It's really transforming a community by regenerating and repurposing property, repurposing land, repurposing what already exists in the community. So I then applied for a continuing education grant earlier this year and got it through a women's organization called Tempo Milwaukee. And I'm a member of their Emerging Women Leaders Group. And that then paid for me to get the commercial real estate certificate with Cornell University. So it's a six course program. And that's what kind of like really pushed me to learn very quickly a lot about real estate that I didn't initially know. And then I ran into Nadia, we, Nadia Johnson. I set up a meeting with her earlier this year and we were talking about Envision Self. The meeting was about Envision Self and nobody really knew that I had this Envision Growth Company created, EIN, LLC, creating an advisory board, all these things. And she, I mentioned to her like, yeah, I think I'm going to, I'm going to go into real estate and I'm going to be a developer. And she's like, really? Well, I might have a project that you may be interested because I, I mentioned to her that I would, oh, I'm only interested in projects that are going to have a community impact. You know, it needs to be a triple bottom line um, profit, you know, yeah. not just profit, but profit for people and profit for the you know, planet environment, you know, because a lot of people look at revenue, just a one way stream. And they think that if you get profit, then the people in the planet need to be at detriment. Or if you get, uh, if you are helping the people, then you don't get profit. And that's not true. All of them can win. You just have to figure out the special sauce. So 
she, you know, she was like, you know, are you interested? And, you know, about the, you know, Milky Way Tech Hub and the project. I'm like, yeah, I know your company. I'm very familiar about with the work that you do in the city around creating a tech ecosystem here in Milwaukee. And that's how we then came together um, for me to be the co-developer on her tech hub for her company. Jeez. So it you happened very quickly. You working nonstop. Yeah, I'm actually in my last course for Cornell. So I'm in the sixth course. The last course is optimizing asset strategies. I think it's called like optimizing asset strategies, something of that nature. Optimizing uh, asset management strategies is the name okay. of the course. So I'm in the last one with that. Cornell has been a blessing. It's definitely connected me with a ton of other people, if, if not anything at the minimum, the Cornell network and the professors there and the associate and adjunct professors. And it's been a blessing, even though it's just a certificate program, yeah. but it's so much value in just that six course program that I've gained within just a few months. Yeah. I think it's so cool that I, I think that entire company thing, the entire company, I think that's a super cool thing. And I think it's an awesome and great opportunity, not just for you, but for the city of Milwaukee. Cause like you said, you can drive anywhere, whether that's North side, East side, South side, wherever you are, there are, there are always going to be those abandoned homes that are just like, why is this here? Yep. There's always going to be those abandoned structures. Like, why is this here? There's so many, like, especially now with the pandemic, unfortunately, there's going to be so there's going to be so much more real estate, so much more retail real estate that can be transformed into different things, um, different like community things, things that can be yes. used within the community. And like you said, people look at profit one way where it's just kind of like, OK, it's all about making revenue. But no, like you can make revenue and that profit can pretty much go to, you know, changing other people's lives by giving them different opportunities that they may not have had opportunities um, may not have had those opportunities for essentially. Correct. And I agree with that because that's the way people have to look at it. Cause of course, nobody's going to be able to do business unless it makes a profit. And I think we all understand that. Yep. But once again, making a profit doesn't have to be at a detriment of the people in the planet. Yep. So yes, you can make profit and make tons of money and still be environmentally friendly. You can make tons of profit and still not then be affecting a, commu a community of people, right? You could still be a benefit to them. You know, that's why a lot of people have to start looking at real estate development, whether that's housing or whether that's commercial from a standpoint of how can I multi-layer these projects to be of a benefit for what this community is lacking? Exactly. And I think we need that here. Like we need that here so bad because it's, I don't know, it's just so sad just looking at so many different neighborhoods and so many different communities and just kind of seeing that, seeing, seeing the state that they're in and it's affecting not just, you know, people in the community as a whole, but the people and individuals that, you know, they, they can't afford housing because it's way too expensive. Like we look at yeah. rent now, like you have to make what, 17 plus dollars an hour just to afford um, a one bedroom apartment. Some people don't make that at McDonald's or whatever, and they have one or two kids that they have to take care of yeah. at the end of the day, too. So it's like these opportunities to maybe build something or take that desolate home that, you know, maybe should, you know, shouldn't be empty and prehab it or rehab it, whatever you want to do with it. And, yeah. you know, make the rent a little bit lower, make it a, more affordable for the people who, you know, can't afford it. And I'm pretty Correct. sure the city would work with you as well as the state works with you on kickback and stuff like that. So you kind of get the tax worth credits of like, and all those things of that nature. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, the tax credits coming with the larger pro uh, projects, of course, but there are ways where you can work with the bureaucracies that be to layer these projects so yeah. that we can assure that 
the people who need these, the homes the most are getting it for a reasonable price for how much they're bringing in from a family spectrum annually. Exactly. And I think I started on the wrong point. I think I should have started with Envision Self instead of Envision Growth because <laughs> well, it looks like this Envision one self. kind of, it, yeah. lo- it seems like this one, like Envision Self kind of, you know, was the reason why you built this one. So It was. And I mean, Envi- the thing about Envision Self is, is that Envision Self kind of just sits out there. It really, it, and I think a lot of people over time are probably just going to focus their Envision more on Envision Growth even though Envision Self, a lot of people still talk about it because it, it stood out, you know, it just I allowed the brand to stand out. But the reality is Envision Self is really me. That's like what it what it came down to. So a lot of people gravitated towards Envision Self because I embodied Envision Self. Okay. And that was kind of the purpose. And then I tried to kind of detach myself from the brand and then it made it hard to detach. So even up till now, I'm still trying to figure out, am I just going to be Envision Self or, you know, am I going to just have it out there? So the reality is that Envision Self came out of, the real truth is, Envision Self came out of me being a co-founder of House of Renji LLC, which is an entertainment company. Okay. So in 2013, which is when I was still an undergrad, I formed House of Renji with Genesis Renji, who's an Emmy-nominated artist in the city of Milwaukee, and Jay Robinson, who went to Marquette during that time. We came together and formed House of Renji LLC in 2013. And as an entertainment company, I was basically the brand individual. I, I was the brand manager, the brand visionary, the brand strategist for artists, specifically Genesis at that time. And still up to this day, um, but specifically a lot heavily during that time. And a lot of my work was revolved around being the visionary for photo shoots, being the visionary for music videos, um, strategically finding partnerships in the city for different collaborative projects around artists, around people who were rappers, around people who were poets. So with that being said, I became like this branding guru almost in the music realm of things. You know, I actually have like co, what do they call it? Co-producer, co-director credits on one of Jen's albums that actually ended up getting on Pandora. And I helped grow House of Renji with him and Jaya for a very long time. The company's still going. And I ended up taking a more of a backseat to just really focus on, okay, brand partnerships with House of Renji. So I've, you know, I've done different collaborations with Jen and like Mountain Dew and things of that nature. So then in that, during that time of when I co-founded House of Renji, I then realized I have a niche for aligning brands with the community. And the reality, people don't realize that community is always looked at as one way when the reality community is stakeholders, community is consumers, community is customers. But when you hear community, people just think, oh, grassroots or the people who are just in the neighborhood. But the reality is those people in the neighborhood are a stakeholder of something. They're a consumer of something. They're a customer of something. So how do we build the bridge, the gap, excuse me, between that those communities and brands and brands are whether it's artists, whether it's corporations, whether it's different entities, there's a brand there. And I always say that Apple has got to be one of the most brilliant brands on earth because everybody wants Apple no matter what. People don't know what the new phone, what the specs are, what the new gadgets are within the phone, but they want it because it's Apple and they trust that Apple's delivering something that's worth them having. And now they're willing to stand in line for it spend their rent check on it, whatever the case may be. There's no question about it. Apple has created emotional attachment to their product as a brand, whether it's a stakeholder or a customer or a consumer. 
So they've been able to bridge the gap between their brand and the community. And that's how I see branding as a whole, but that's how I also see business and community. And from the work I did with House of Renji and transitioning from the entertainment realm to just transitioning to just business as a whole, whether that's, you know, me working with various entities in the city from food, um, food restaurants and things of that nature, or just, you know, being on health, health advisory boards to be an advisor on those things. It allowed me to really understand that once again, I'm a master community connector (laughs) and I have a strong brand. And how do I get other people to realize the power in their brand to also be master community connectors? I think it's more than that. I think it's being a master (laughs) community connector as well as being a creative overall. Yeah. Because you have to have that vision to be able to take this product and be able to communicate it to this community or this people or whoever. You know what I'm saying? And it's like how how you said Apple has figured out brand and mastered it. It's like once you're in the Apple ecosystem, you're not getting out of it. Plain and simple. It's like I got into the Apple ecosystem when 2010, I still have a MacBook Pro. I have an Apple Watch. I have an iPhone. I have an iPad. I don't need all of it, but I'm in the ecosystem. There's no (laughs) way out of it. I I have a HomePod. I don't even, I don't ask Siri anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's one of those things where, once again, once you're in, you're not going anywhere. You're not, where are you going to go? Like, where are you going to go, really? Like, to pair or... Cherry, like you're going to be with Apple. Like, you're going to stay, especially because Apple creates the ecosystem and they create a community for Apple users. Exactly. The community is making sure that if you have an Apple phone and your phone dies, your laptop will be just as beneficial and will work the same. Like you technically have your Apple phone on your Apple MacBook Air, MacBook Pro, or just your MacBook because you can FaceTime off of there. Your contacts roll into there. So they have created a community with their brand not just with the actual consumers, but they've created a community within their system, exactly. within their ecosystem. And they made it hard to get out. And they made it hard to get out because now you're like, wow. So then if I go get this device, let's say you have the laptop, but you don't have the phone. Now the device you go get doesn't work with the Mac. Exactly. It doesn't sync. You know, it, it just makes things more difficult because Apple has made it that all their products work with one another, but it's difficult for other products to work with their products. I agree. Have you always been this master community connector or is this something you kind of worked on? I think I worked on it, but I also, I also believe that I've also had it. I've always, excuse me, had it in me. I just didn't realize this is what it was. So like, I always joke with people like I was very popular in high school (laughs) and I played sports, you know, but I also had a way with people. Like I was always like, connecting with people. I was always social and I'm not even an extrovert by nature. Neither am I an introvert. I always like to say I'm an ambivert. So while I come off very social, I don't charge off of people. So that's why I revert to being by myself a lot. So I'm, I'm kind of in this middle space where I have the extrovert exterior, but internally, sometimes I'm like, this is a lot. It's overwhelming, but I know how to get through it. And I know how to just keep the extrovertness seemingly like what it seems to be. So when I was in high school, I was social. I always, you know, everybody at least knew who I was. I could say that I definitely was always like had a great appearance. I think that's something that has stuck with me and helped with being this connector because 
people are able to recognize something about me. And this is what I tell like college students when I go talk to like the EOP or upper bound kids at Marquette um, or scholars, I should say, because they're not kids, young adults. I always tell them, what are you going to do to make sure you stand out? And one of the things I've always said that I would do is I'm going to always be the best dressed person in any room. <laughs> and, and that wasn't because I want people to see that I'm the best dressed. I just know that when I dress good, I feel good. It's more about yeah. how I want to present myself and how I want to feel during the day. So I know that if I put on my suit, you know, and my chinos and my Kohans, I'm going to have a pretty good day. Yeah. I'm going, I'm going to feel good throughout the day. You know, how do you make sure that when you step into a room that you stand out from others, no matter what room it is, it could be the grocery store. That's a room. You know, everybody thinks when you say room, you're thinking boardroom, meeting room. No, the grocery store is a room. The gym is a room. The hair salon is a room. How do you, what, what is your, what is your brand? What is your own personal brand? And the one thing I knew was to always just be spick and span, you know, so I won best dress in high school. And it was so funny that, uh, the reason why I know that I left the impact as far as my appearance and that helped me in being able to do the work I do through Envision Self and helping other people figure out their brands. And when I say brands, their businesses or whatever ideas they want to flesh out because they trust my brand. People have to trust the brand strategist and what does their brand look like for them to be telling me about anything about my brand. I wouldn't listen to somebody who I feel that I wouldn't want to mimic their brand in any way, shape or form. And not mimic like copy, but if, if I look at your brand and I don't want anything from it, then why would I have you telling me how to grow my brand? 100%. So like I was talking to my mentee a few days ago and there's a guy who works with him who I uh, knew in undergrad, I'm not in undergrad high school. He went to Nicolet. Was it Nicolet? Yeah, I think he went to Nicolet. I can't even remember. I believe it's Nicolet. And we were very close when we were in high school. And I told him, I was like, when you talk to him, tell him that, oh, we said, Hey, like we used to, they used to be my homie, my road dog. We used to kick it with all our other friends, you know, from various high schools. And, you know, we used to enjoy ourselves. And he talked to me. He was like, you know, Obi Boozer. He's like, Obi. He was like, well, Boozer? No, nah, I don't know her. And then he paused and he was like, you mean Obi also fly? He said, yes. <laughs> he was like, Obi used to be fly. He was like, she's still fly. He was like, yes, I remember her. And like my mentee was like, who was also fly? So he then called me and told me the story and was just like, I didn't even know people called you this. And I'm like, because it's Envision Self now. <laughs> I feel like I heard that back, back in 2000. You graduated in 2010 or something like that, right? Uh, no, 2011. You 2011? know, my birthday's in September. So I was always older than everybody. Okay. I was going to say, I definitely heard that when I was in high school too. That's probably just because I knew so many people from King. Oh, uh, what? Oh, so fly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, it's so funny. Cause you're not the only one. I still have people who joke with me up to this day. Like I remember when we used to actually call you. Oh, so fly. And I'm like, that's funny because like, I don't even refer to the name at all, but like I took that mentality of Oh, so fly and plugged it into business like that's what I transferred to envision self essentially so it wasn't like I literally told him like oh it's envision self now no it really though is a transfer of envision self now in modern business of okay taking the what I know about branding taking what I've been able to learn about branding taking my experiences with branding taking me as a walking brand because that's why I like to coin it as how do I then take what I know about that and help people with their brands as far as their personal brands an entity a business whatever they want to create, whatever they envision, and then tying in that master of being a community connector to how they then push their brand forward and how they make that connection with consumers, stakeholders, and customers. And so, yeah, I probably was not always a community connector or master at that, but I think the branding piece is what got me to understanding the community piece. 
100%. because the branding piece is what got me to connect with people. Honestly, yeah, I think it was the clothes and the shoes. Like the clothes and the shoes attracted people to want to have a conversation with me. Yeah, I think all of it is one hundred percent true. You got to lead by example to yeah to start off with that. And I always like to tell like super interesting stories, but my, my fiance, her cousin is a serial entrepreneur, very, very successful entrepreneur. Wow. Um, and he had a pitch meeting one day. And when I mean successful entrepreneur, I mean like this guy is dressed to the nines every single day of his life, even if he doesn't have to go anywhere. And he it's had a mindset. pitch meeting and the guy was just like, yeah, no, no, not interested. But then he saw him walk out of the building, go get, and then go get into an Aston Martin. And then he was like, no, 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 come back, come back, come back, come back. <laughs> so it's just like your appearance, what you put out there, that attracts people. And yeah. if people can't get behind you, then you're lost. And people aren't going to get behind someone that's going to come into a pitch meeting or anything with like sweatpants down to their kneecaps. You know what I mean? An oversized sweatshirt with stains on it. Yeah. You got to yeah, be your dressed image, nice. Your image really precedes you. Exactly. You know, I've had conversations with people and I've had people just in the, like people I don't even know. Like just, I've, I've been at Walgreens and I remember I walked in there and the young lady was like, every time you come in here, you're sharp. Like she, she noticed me because she always noticed how I came in, in Walgreens. Like it's Walgreens. And she just finally had to say something like, I always love your clothes and I always love how you dress. But once again, your image precedes you, whether that's vocally, whether that's from face down, however you want to coin that for yourself, your image precedes you. And your image really is your brand. It's not the only thing that's part of your brand, but it is, it has a big part of your brand. It's almost like a credit score. You got different components. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, that's funny. You said credit score. I just had, I posted something on Facebook about that, about how it's so, this is so off topic, but it's so interesting yeah. how the world has changed within the past like five years where it's like, a high credit score is worth more than a million dollars. It's insane. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it's nuts. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. <laughs> but side note, that was a side note. That was my bad about that. I just had to say that. But um, uh, I did want to ask you, with currently everything that's that's going on in yeah. the world today, number one, being a woman, being an yeah. African-American woman, and being a business owner, like, how was everything that's going going on from COVID to Black Lives Matter, to everything affected you and your companies at the moment? Yeah, so I would say on the real estate side, it really has slowed things down and not slowed these down, things down due to the simple fact of the matter because real estate isn't happening. You know, it's not like the market is, is not happening, but the reality is that How do I, how do I, how do I really phrase it? People aren't pushing out money that yeah. easily. No. That's, that's really the best, the best straightforward way to say it. People are holding on to their money a lot more. They're being more conservative with their money and real estate development requires for people to put their money forward. <laughs> so it's, it's not like being a realtor where homes need to sell regardless. People want to live somewhere regardless. And because the economy is down, the mortgage rates are a lot lower. So it is the, one of the best times to get a home if you want a low, low mortgage rate. Unfortunately, the market, the homes aren't as cheap as people would probably want like them to be. They're still just as expensive. 
And actually some of the homes that you would expect to be a lot less are probably overpriced actually. But even with that, people are still buying the homes off the market. So I would say on the development side, it's made it harder to move projects forward quicker at a more expedited pace that you normally would see um, on any given day outside of a pandemic. And it's not expedited like, oh, it just happens quickly, quickly, but it's a lot quicker than what's going on now. Things are definitely slow. And then even with the real estate side with development, there's a, there's a few projects that I'm supposed to like, there's one I'm supposed to be going to go visit in Springfield, Illinois to go look at some land and property. And I don't want to drive five hours there and five hours back. That's a five hour drive. And for somebody like me, I would just do a round trip flight and that will be done with. But nonetheless, because of that, it's one of those things where it's like, okay. And then with COVID, I mean, of course, I'm not just hopping on a plane. And because it's not a one-way direct, it's not a, excuse me, not one way, but it's not a round trip where it goes straight from Milwaukee to Springfield, Illinois. It's more like Milwaukee, Orlando, Springfield, Illinois. And I'm like, I'm not going to a hot spot either. Like it's already COVID. Getting on a plane is already a questionable thing. Then now you're going to be, your 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 stopping point is going to be at a hot spot in Florida. Nah, I'm so good. that's made it tricky with going to go see things for yourself and actually being there and having those relationships face-to-face and doing a lot of things virtually. As far as at the Heart Association, things have been a lot a lot high-paced when it comes to having to react quickly to a lot of things going around COVID-19. We are a health-based organization. We are the largest funder of research outside of the government. So when, and then when I say research, I mean like health research in the, in that aspect of yep. things. So we're a health organization. So with COVID-19 going on and even with a lot of the things around racial injustice and racism, because I like to just call things as what they are, because if we never identify what they really are, then we're just using terms to that, that are going nowhere. If it's racism, call it racism. You call it anything else than that, then it's not no longer racism, right? So racism is what it is. And with that, that ties into technically COVID. Yeah. Technically, everything else that that people are marginalized on because COVID-19, what people didn't realize and people were getting this mixed up, you know, people started saying it's the Black people's virus and the Black people's disease. And no, that's not what it is. And because... Black people are at greater risk because of the disparities that are already upon them. So when you put a COVID-19, I'm just saying it, I'm not saying somebody put it there, but when you then have a COVID-19 a pandemic um, in effect and you realize who are the vulnerable populations, of course it's people of color who have high blood pressure, who are diabetic, you know, who are more susceptible to a cardiac arrest, um, whether that's a stroke, you know, or whether that's a heart attack. Those things are things to think of. So when we think of those things, but then we also then take it a step further and look at our neighborhoods, access to grocery stores, access to healthcare, that doesn't look the same in our community than it does our counterparts. So it's not that it's a black people disease, it's, a, it's a, that black people have a lot of disparities that are already upon them. And then you put COVID-19 and it's a domino effect. Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, it's just been a very busy times, essentially. I think it has increased our workload as a collective. I definitely feel as is as if just in general, the virtual world has allowed people to feel more comfortable with having meetings past certain times and having meetings during lunch that we normally would have got fed or, you know, they just, it was just like taboo to have a meeting during lunch. Yeah. Now it's like, we're just working through the whole day. No break, no jam, barely can take, go to the bathroom and take a break and have a drink of water. 
So I think that's been a something that other people can relate to as well, as far as it could be a bit stressful in that nature where we thought we were ripping and running then. Like, no, we're ripping and running on Zoom calls from Zoom to Microsoft uh, Teams to Skype business to go to webinar to go to meeting. I don't know how many apps I've downloaded on my phone that are meeting apps at this point. Yeah. To be honest, yeah. Teams, Zoom. Zoom, Skype. <laughs> Skype, all of go it. Go to meeting, go to webinar. I've, let me figure out which other ones I'm missing. I got to be missing something. But, you know, like, it's it's like, come on now, you guys. Connect, WebEx meet. Yep. <laughs> you know, all it's all like, hi, hi, hi. And then, and then once they go over, it's like you just, the meetings run over, and then you're on another meeting, and that one's running over, and now you're, you look up and it's 8 p.m. <laughs> yeah. And some, and yeah, like you said, companies are just kind of like, oh, we'll put a meeting at 12 o'clock now, 1130. That's cool. No problem. Yeah. Or 630, 7 a.m. It's all right. Yeah. Just right, set right, your right. alarm a little bit earlier. Right. We'll do five <laughs> to seven. That's we'll enough. do seven to nine. So how is all this? I, I know we talked a little bit about this before, but I didn't hit yeah. record. But um, during that time, <laughs> I just wanted to get to know you a little bit little bit better then but how has all this stuff affected you on a personal level yeah uh, as far as like the pandemic and racial injustice yeah yeah you know the pandemic has been a blessing for me I won't say it's been a blessing for everybody I do miss going out because now it's now it's it's almost like you've overstayed your welcome at this point exactly however the less nonetheless I have enjoyed the time to just be still that's the way I like to call it just be still, be by myself, and really hear what are the next steps for my life and what are the next steps for the community as a whole, you know, our nation, things of that nature. Just being able to sit, be still, and listen. You know, I think we spend, we're just in a society that's always moving, 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 and we never sit to think. We never sit to actually listen. We're just talking and moving, talking and moving, and then when are we using our ears and really seeing what's going on. So I've appreciated the time to just be still and just think on things and have more time to just be more settled. The other side to it though, is that the racial injustice just kind of toppled on top of the pandemic. And I mean, these things have been going on in our community. I think the reality is that stillness forced people to see what was going on, right? You're moving and moving, walking and talking. Now you're only seeing and hearing, and now you're forced to only see and hear what's virtually, what's on TV, what's on your TV screen, what's on your computer screen, what's on your phone screen. And if every time you look on any of those devices, because that's all you're looking at, you're not really looking outside that much, then all you're seeing is people of color, Black people specifically, getting gunned down, um, murdered in blood, cold blood by people who are supposed to protect us. At least that's what I thought they swore to protect us. I thought that's what their job was. Then now it's magnified because media, media magnified it. And that's all we're looking at at this point because we don't have anything else to do. (laughs) So when you, that, that makes it stressful though, right? Because once again, we're still, we're kind of confined to our innate environments, you know, and maybe a few other environments that you're comfortable with going to, whether it's a family member or cousin, and maybe, maybe friends, I wouldn't go that far for most people or myself, but as you then see what's going on around you, it's, it's, it's a lot, you know, it's a lot. And I had some honest conversations with colleagues. I've had honest conversations with different business groups and networks and 
you know, in a lot of spaces that I am, I am the only black person. You know, I am the only black person who works for the American Heart Association in Wisconsin. You know, I am the only black person on some of the boards and committees I serve on. So when that's happening and then we're forced to just go along with life as usual, that's a lot. Yeah. To see somebody shot down on Sunday and then Monday, everybody's like, good morning. Yeah. It's not a good morning at all. <laughs> it's not. And and I think people up to now, I think people still aren't giving people of color, specifically black people, the time they need. I think we just are so programmed to just keep going and, you know, okay, well it happened three weeks ago. Everybody should be fine. I'm not quite okay with anything that has happened still. Yeah. I'm still just as furious then. I still am just as adamant about change needing to happen now that I was then when it actually happened. And I still am charged just as charged up as I was when all these people were killed initially because a lot of arrests haven't happened either. Exactly. So until those arrests happen and we actually know what's going on and I see some people get prosecuted for, uh, for being murderers, then we're still going to be just as mad and irritated yeah. and perplexed about what's going on and infuriated and enraged as we were when the person initially died, whether it's George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. I mean, Audrey, like, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's still, I still have the same rage as when it happened then. Yeah. One thing I'll say about that is I agree with you on, on, on that side, 100%. People are just like, well, you know, it's been three weeks now. It shouldn't matter anymore. But one thing I'm seeing a lot more is people understanding that, yeah, I'm like, yeah, it's, it's not okay. Like they, like yeah. people that aren't African-American are seeing like, yeah, this, some people are like, yeah, this happened three weeks ago. But then some people are still like, no, like, it it doesn't matter if it's if it happened three weeks ago. Like this is affecting, you know, Obi. This is affecting Washington. This is affecting yes. this African American person. This African American person. Like these things need to change now. And yes. it's having those honest conversations because honestly, some people just don't know. Some people don't that is very know. true. And some people have a hard time and hard time communicating with people outside of their race, and they don't mean they don't mean to. They don't, there's no malice in their heart. It's, they don't communicate outside because, you know, not because they don't like a specific person, maybe because they just don't know how. And those yeah. people coming forward and being open to those conversations and being like, hey, like, I am not 100% sure how to communicate with this person. And it's the same thing within sex, whether like some males don't know how to really communicate with females, some females don't really yep. know how to communicate with males. I feel like it's, it's a turning of the tides. Like you said, we have time to sit now. Now we're absorbing all of it. We're seeing every single thing happen and there's no turning back. We're only going to go forward through this. And I hope that we see, you know, prosecutions. I hope we see people who have killed people go to jail and serve that time. I feel like it's, it's coming now more than it was a few weeks to a few months ago. Correct. And I definitely agree with that. Like you said, there are a lot more people who were unaware outside of our race and ethnicity who were more aware, who are now more aware, excuse me, yep. than they were before. So people who may have never batted an eye around these issues are now like, how can I help? Yep. What can I do? How do I learn more? What am I saying wrong? You know, they are really more in tune now. And, but it, like you said, it comes back to having those hard conversations and we have to want to have them and we have to be receptible to those who truly don't know any better. Those exactly. who are like, I just never grew around. I just never had to acknowledge people of color. 
and I never had to acknowledge black people and really not take that to heart with that person, but understand that it's the community. It's the environment that they grew up in. And, you know, you will see change when you have those hard conversations with those people who really do want to change. They really do want to see change. They really just don't. Some of them don't know, like you said, and they also don't, they don't know how we're going to react based off of what they don't know and what may come out. Yeah. And based off of what they've seen in the media, honestly. And I think one way, one thing for me growing up is we were taught to carry ourselves a specific way around specific people. Plain and simple. That's just what we were taught growing up. Like, hey, don't do this. Don't do something stupid. You do this may happen or this may happen. You got to communicate this way with these people. And what I've what I've learned just from speaking with colleagues and people who are my colleagues and people who are my friends Things like that never came up in conversation. Like, hey, yeah. like conversations need to be had about racism with kids of all races when they're young so they yeah. understand. But so many parents in the past, like, they just, they didn't think it was an issue. So they never had that conversation. So people just kind of formed their own opinions and kind of went with, you know, went left or went right. So I feel like everyone I've talked to is like, hey, like this is a talking point in my family. This is a talking point in my household. Like I'm talking to my kids about race. I'm talking to them about every Mm -hmm. single thing. Mm -hmm. I want them to be knowledgeable on all of this because I don't want history to repeat itself. So I don't think we're going to see like a major change in the next five years. We're going to see change. But the major change is going to happen 20, 30 years down the line. And right. as long as we're, we're now going in the right direction, the older people, right. We're the more seasoned people in the community. Correct. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where change just doesn't happen overnight and no change happens overnight, even yeah. with people themselves, just as people coexisting, whether it's in your own community or with your own people, that change doesn't even happen overnight. So change that we want to see in this space won't happen overnight when it's been ingrained into the society that we live in. 100%. It's almost like we have to uproot, uproot what was put into the soil. Like the plants that were planted have to be uprooted. There has to be new plants that need to be, there needs to be new seeds essentially to create new plants that will create a new world, yep. create a new mindset, create new people that'll then come from these new people who have a new sound revelation around, wow, like now I get it. So yeah. I think we're going in that direction. I think I think we are finally. I, I finally. feel like there's a there's a there's a difference here. Like you said, that being still in a pandemic is a blessing, and it was a blessing for me personally. But it's a greater blessing for the collective as far as racial injustice and racism. One hundred percent. I'm sorry if I keep saying one hundred percent. That's just like my. Uh, <laughs> I'm my gonna start using it. Hundred percent. Super superhero phrase for the day, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, that that's all I really got for you. Is there anything that, you know, I didn't touch on or I didn't bring up that you want to speak on? No, not really. I think for the most part, I just hope that people are inspired to just go forth and do things. Don't be scared to not push your great idea out there. I think that's one of the things that has helped me over time is I'm going to do it. I really don't care who thinks that I shouldn't do it because the reality is sometimes people think you shouldn't do something because they want to do it. Yeah. Or they didn't think they didn't think of it first. So do what you need to do. If you have that grand idea, go to some trusted advisors first. You don't go to too many people because then you'll have too many opinions and just go forth. Think, think it through, 
of course, do the necessary steps of research and background knowledge to understand what you're really getting into, but go for it. And if you are going to be the jack of all trades, just make sure you're a master of something. <laughs> Can't be a jack of all trades and master of nothing. Yes. So know what it is that you're good at. Like, I know that I can do community affairs, community relations, any of that type of work with any company because I'm a master at that work. I'm a master at community affairs, community connections. That That is what I do. I know that if I go into any room, I'm just as good as the VP who's a com- in community affairs, whatever the case may be, you know? So once again, what is it that you are a master of? You've got to be a master of something. Can't just be a jack of all trades and there can't be, you got to have that one thing. Cause honestly, the reality is I tell people that one thing will create opportunity in other areas that you aren't even a master in. Yeah. When you're just a jack of all trades, nobody can really place you anywhere, which then makes it hard for you to, to for them to say, well, then, what can you really help on? But when you're a master at something, it's easy to then say, well, Obi's a master at community affairs. We need her to do this, but we also kind of need her to touch on this. And she can learn that. But because she's a master at this, it's going to be easy for her to understand that. Exactly. So figure out what you're a master at because it'll create room wherever you go. Like it'll create room for whatever industry, whatever sector, whatever area of business you want to go into with what you're a master at. I agree. You gotta be. You gotta figure out something. And then you gotta the day, figure out something. You gotta something. be really good at. Like, <laughs> if you can just be really good at one thing, someone's gonna notice it. Yes, and it will take you far. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. And honestly, that people don't realize what company you know being an entrepreneur, you don't have to know everything. Like you don't, and you shouldn't. Like you're not gonna run the company by yourself. Like yeah, I'm a consultant within yourself by myself, but. I contract people to do graphic work when I need them to be on projects with me. I'm not the graphic designer. I'm not the website developer, but I am the brand strategist and I am the visionary. And when people need work like that done, they see my websites and they're like, who did it? And I'm like, oh, I had such and such do it. And they're like, oh, I love, you know, this and that. And I'm like, oh, well, I told them what I wanted on there. They just put it together, you know? So like, and they're like, oh, wow. Like, you know, people don't think about that. Like, what's your mission? What's your purpose? What's your values of your organization? You know, do you have a mission statement? What are those things? What are your services? You know, what colors, you know, really personify your brand? You know, things like that people don't really deeply think through. And when they come to me, they're like, ah, you know, like I'm actually thinking in that direction. Like, you know, what's your proposition value and things of that nature? You know, what do you want to communicate? What do you want people to get from just coming to your website? What type of idea do they want to get about your brand or you? So all those things play into a brand. It's not just, oh, you have a logo and a fancy website and booyah. Like Louis Vuitton wouldn't be Louis Vuitton if they didn't have anything to put on the website. True. I think that's a, <laughs> that's a sign of a smart entrepreneur is realizing that you're not great at everything and finding people who are good at those specific things and putting them in the position to to kind of help you build whatever you're looking to build. Yeah. So be a master at something and have a strong brand. That's what I would say. That's what I would leave with. Cool. Have a strong brand. Yeah. It precedes you everywhere you go. I got it. And not just how you look, but just being a person of integrity, you know, yeah. being that person who people know, I can vouch for them. You know, a, a brand is what people say about you when you're in the room. But a strong brand is what people say about you in the room and what they say about you when you're not in the room. Exactly. So like a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, what's branding and what is what is brand? And I just break it down to a brand, a good brand, a strong brand is what people say about you in the room and when you're not in the room. If that doesn't equate, then there's a lack of communication there. I agree. I never heard someone say that before, but that honestly makes the most sense. 
that's what a brand is. As simple as that. People yeah. may have other definitions, but that's mine. <laughs> I think that's a very good definition of brand, to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> you should, uh, what is that? Not copyright it, but like coin that. That's your, that's your thing. Yeah. Right, 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 right. So, yeah. I mean, there's probably other people who say it's similar or say something because a lot of people who do branding, they either kind of fall in the same wavelength of thinking or they have a different thought around branding and you just gotta put it out there you put it out there you coined it you're the first person to say it (laughs) right 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 (laughs) so yeah cool well i appreciate you a lot for doing this i know we were bouncing around times for over the past few months and i know right corona kind of threw things things (laughs) so i I greatly appreciate you doing this and i'll I'll reach back out to you soon definitely i want to have you back on because i'm pretty sure there's a million other things we can have a conversation about oh yeah we could sit and talk about this schooling system thing i really like that's a thing that's really a thing like entrepreneurship wasn't a thing when we were in school let's just be real entrepreneurship nobody was saying that it was just kind of like oh like i think school for a very long time pushed people to be nine to five workers yeah you know that people didn't really provide like those advisors and stuff really didn't provide you any other options to think outside of an actual career that was going to have you in somebody's infrastructure their system whereas those people who doodle in class and those kids who like to build things are probably entrepreneurs yeah And yes, they probably should just go to school and get a business degree. But now there's concentrations and emphases in um, entrepreneurship and innovation. Exactly. Innovation wasn't a thing when we were in school. That's a new word. Entrepreneurship building or whatever it is. That new glass building right on um, the new entrepreneurship building at UWM. I can't think of what street it's on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on the corner. It's literally on the corner and never was there when we were in school. Exactly. Um, I think they were building it as we were leaving. And yeah, it's on the corner of, is that, uh, that's not Holton. I forgot. It's Maryland, uh, I want to say. Maryland, Maryland and wherever something. UWM is on. Kenwood. Maryland is something. Kenwood, yes. That's Maryland oh. and Kenwood, I believe. Yeah, and it's like a whole entrepreneur building. Yeah. Like, it's a whole department dedicated to entrepreneurship, basically. Yep. I wish that was a thing when we were in school. It wasn't. <laughs> Those are the things I feel like we got cheated out on. <laughs> yeah. That and internships and how important they are to success now. Yes. And I think that is so important that we push that because if you aren't, weren't working like how I was. So I worked my whole time. I think that I did. That's where I did. I kind of stopped talking. I worked my whole college career. So I worked at Sendix for six years, Sendix food market. And I was able to build a brand there and get positions given to me that normally weren't in the organization. So I was an administrative assistant at one point. Then I was an assistant receiving manager and I had keys to the store at like 19. Oh, wow. And I was the one who, once again, liaisoned with the vendors and the store and the departments um, in regards to that, especially on Saturday mornings where I would have to be there at like 6 a.m. So stayed at Sentence for six years. So I learned the grocery store business a little bit, logistics, supply chain, all of that good stuff. Then I started working at the Boys and Girls Club as a program coordinator. Mind you, I'm still an undergrad at this point. And then I worked at UW Credit Union for a little bit as a teller. They opened up a new branch in Tulsa. I helped them open up that branch. I was one of their like top tellers. I was like top 40%. Then left there to take on an internship because I was doing the Boys and Girls Club and being a teller at the same time. I walked away from being a teller to take on my internship at Argosy Foundation and was doing both of those at the same time all in school, mind you. And then I got like my first out of school job. That's, that's the way I like to say, cause I've always been working, but out of school job 
was with United Way. So even though I didn't internship a lot because I had real working experience, that definitely took me far. Yeah. Running on the track didn't really work too well for me. Oh, no. <laughs> no, I figured it out. I figured it out. At the end you of figured the day, it so out. You still made a way. Yeah, still made a way. Definitely. Awesome. All righty. Well, I appreciate yeah. you once again. and You have a great evening. Yeah, indeed. Appreciate you, brother. No problem. Have a good one. All righty.